0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. Uh, I am very pleased to be joined today by Congresswoman Veronica Escobar, who represents Texas's 16th congressional district. Welcome, uh, Congresswoman Escobar.
1: David, it's so wonderful to be with you today. Thank you so much.
0: Well, these days seem somehow better. I, I don't know what it was. Uh, perhaps <laughs> it was something that's happened uh, in the past 24 hours. What was your reaction to the inaugural?
1: You know, when I, I was telling my son, because my son is my roommate, and I took him with me to the inauguration, when we woke up that morning and we were getting ready to, to head over to the Capitol, I told him that I just felt this wave of relief all of a sudden just wash over me. It was, it was a, a very, I, there was a distinct difference in how I felt on Wednesday morning than I had felt a week before Um, and when I was sitting there just really kind of taking in the historic moment I honestly couldn't help but recall the terrorist attack that uh, you know had happened just days before I was one of the the last of the 24 members who were stuck up in the gallery um, while the terrorists were trying to, to uh, break their way in, and I the the I had these flashes of those photos of a man carrying a Confederate flag in the Capitol, another one replacing our American flag with a Trump flag, and it was just there was it was such a profound moment to see our new president. Uh, making his commitment to our country, taking his oath, being inaugurated under the American flag, which still stood even after that terrorist attack.
0: It's been quite a couple of weeks. When you think of those three Wednesdays, from one Wednesday when we saw the unthinkable and people were you know, truly at, at great risk, five, five people died, but there are people truly at great risk, thousands were terrorized. To the next Wednesday when there was an impeachment, to the next Wednesday when there was an inauguration, I don't think in recent memory there has ever been, you know, such a swing from highs to lows to and 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 all of such gravity. It must be hard, kind of emotionally in the in the in the House of Representatives right now. I, it, have you noticed a you know a difference because it's. It, in in any other organization, you would you would expect there to be a real kind of uh, you know post traumatic stress.
1: The, there, believe me, there is a lot of post traumatic stress, and and my colleagues and I are talking about it. Um, I was so worried about the Capitol police officers who had experienced that attack and had to report for duty the very next day, you know, and so so it was not a shock. It was tragic, but it was not a shock that we lost a member to a member of the Capitol Police to suicide. I mean, the, the, this, it was um, it was really a very, very terrifying chain of events. And the days that followed that terrorist attack, as video kept surfacing, as audio kept surfacing, the gravity of the moment and the terror of the moment You know, it's just, we kept reliving it over and over again. And I think the same is true, not just for members, obviously, but for the staff. Their workplace is no longer safe. It no longer feels safe. These are public servants who just want to come and do their job. And we couldn't protect them and didn't protect them. So there's a lot of trauma, David, that, um, and I've suffered through trauma before. And I know that it, that it, it, it pops up at the most inopportune moments, and it doesn't go away until you deal with it. And so collectively, those of us on Capitol Hill, members, staff, law enforcement, we have to deal with it. But as a country, we also have to deal with it as well.
0: One of the things that was most shocking to people um, has been the degree to which the the toxic politics of the United States was translated into kind of human tension and division among members of Congress. And so you've you've, you've had um, uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez talking about feeling in fear for her life. You've had uh, uh, assertions that perhaps one or more Congress people led potential um, uh, insurrectionists, through the Capitol, clearly they had some information from the inside. They, they clearly knew what they were doing and had information that was confidential. And, um, and, and, and there even talk of, you know, some of the members of Congress, you know, carrying firearms. Yeah. Um, uh, one, one member of Congress, new member of Congress from North Carolina, Madison Cawthorn, you know bragged that he was you know you know packing a weapon during all of this and right. um uh you know others have have made similar claims it 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 seems like a you know a throwback to the 19th century when there was violence on the floor of the congress
1: you know the the oh gosh yes it does um and as you mentioned representative cawthorn you know his "Quote unquote, packing his gun, which is what he, you know, bragged that he did, didn't make us any safer. You know, it didn't protect us. It didn't change the outcome. And in fact, all it did and all it does is make many of us feel less safe, um, because you know the the I will tell you, I think even um, in a such a volatile situation as that." You know, even though law enforcement was overwhelmed, I think they understood that the minute they start shooting, there would be a shootout and far more people there. It probably would have been a far deadlier situation. You know, after a domestic terrorist attacked my community on August 3rd of 2019, I, you know, I was hoping that our country would finally face up to the fact that, domestic terrorism is our most urgent national security threat. And unfortunately, it was an administration that not only gave fuel to that threat, but also th- through their their own agency, the Department of Homeland Security, did absolutely nothing to address the threat. So we are very far behind on having to, to deal with this very urgent national security threat. I'm confident that President
0: Biden will do it. So I'll get to that in one second, but I just, as, as, as I listen to you, one of the things that, you know, dawns on me is that one of the microcosms of all of this is the schizophrenic state you represent in the United States uh, Congress, because you've got some of the most extreme voices of the right uh, in the day-to-day politics there, your attorney general, was one of the main sort of proponents of the big lie. Certainly Senator Cruz was a proponent of the big lie. Uh, and yet you're also a state that, you know, it seems to be going through a demographic change and a political change. And, you know, you have the Castro brothers and, and people like you and others who represent um, a completely alternative point of view. And I'm and I and I'm just wondering how you how does that get how does that get dealt with in the context of you know what's Texas?
1: Oh my gosh, that's a great question. What is Texas? You know, I think Texas, this has been said over and over again by many different people, but that you know, Texas isn't a red state, it's a non-voting state. And we're definitely seeing Texas move in the right direction. It's happening slowly over time, but it's happening. And the 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 difference between the red ticket and the blue ticket at the top is it's shrinking. And and at some point it is going to flip. There's there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. You know, many of us hoped that it would happen sooner, but it didn't, but it it is moving. And we have an AG, really a disgraced attorney general, um, who many of us have called for him to resign uh, or be removed. We have a governor who, uh, like Senator Cruz, engages in these, these, um, it's almost like they want to become this persona for their base. And on on the one hand, it's a caricature and it's laughable, but it's dangerous on the other hand. And I I think they understand how dangerous it is. What's even more dangerous is that they don't care, that it's about their own political self-interest and their political self-advancement. I led a letter and had two of my Texas Democratic colleagues sign onto it. Calling for the Senate to remove Ted Cruz, you know that there have to be consequences to this. Th- this is it's not just deeply unpatriotic behavior; it is seditionist behavior, and it is behavior that inspires terrorism. So these are people who fuel this urgent national security threat that I mentioned, um, and you know we'll have to see what happens in in in. 2022 when when uh, the the ag comes up for you know on the ballot when when the governor comes up on the ballot you know we've got to be ready in texas to offer good alternatives because you can't you know any of us who have been in politics for any period of time know it you have to have a good alternative and, um, you know, we've got a lot of work to do to, to, to educate voters as well and to make sure that people understand the role that voter suppression has played in Texas. And, and, we, and we've got to eradicate that as well, all of those obstacles that are put in place of people wanting to vote.
0: I just noticed uh, moments before uh, joining you here that the, uh, the Senate has launched an ethics investigation into Senator Cruz and Senator Hawley.
1: Well that's good news. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they're doing that. You know, it's it's th- what happened that there are far too many people who want to sweep what happened 2 weeks ago under the rug and just quickly move past it. You know, I've I've d- described domestic terrorism as this bonfire that is quickly engulfing the United States. We can't walk away from it. And what happened was terrorism. You know, nobody would have said, let's walk away from 9-11. Nobody. So w- why are we walking away from a terrorist attack, not just on the Capitol, but on our country that happened only three, three weeks ago or two weeks ago. I can't remember anymore.
0: <laughs> yeah, well it's it's two weeks. It's the very full two weeks. Um, let's let's sort of flip ahead. And, and talk a little bit about what's happened most recently because we've had the inauguration of um, President Biden. And you know, he, in, you know, within four or five hours of, uh, of taking office, began to address certain issues that seem to be very central, central issues, uh, for example, in Texas and that you've been active on. One having to do with immigration in the wall and beginning to undo kind of um, racist and inhumane um, immigration policies of the Trump administration. What's your reaction to that? And and where do you hope that goes?
1: It's clear to me that the Biden administration wanted to send a very strong signal that they're serious um, and that they're gonna be bold and they're gonna be aggressive. So it was I will tell you, it was it. It really, truly felt like a new day in so many ways, and a very exciting new day. I loved the direction that we've already um, begun, the journey we've already begun on righting the wrongs on immigration. We still have a lot of work to do, so it. it you know, I, I. We need to see the nuts and bolts and the details of the you know, immigration plan. We've gotten a sketch, you know, essentially a few pages of, of an outline and of the direction we're going in. I, I worked with a great group of people, a small group that was brought together by then candidate Joe Biden, uh, a unity task force on immigration. I, I want to do a deep dive with those folks on what made it in and what didn't make it in and what we still need to push for and work for. We also, we have gotta make sure that Alejandro Mayorkas is uh, confirmed as quickly as possible because he, he needs to get in there and do his own deep dive into the Department of Homeland Security. I've had, a, I've had many great conversations with him. He is absolutely the right leader At the right time for that agency and he uh, will be very very effective but he needs to get in there Um, and he has heard a lot of my concerns and was open to ideas and I think there's a lot of opportunity to fix things administratively in addition to legislatively so it's it's gonna have to be really a very holistic approach that the administration takes it's gotta to continue to be aggressive and bold and, um, and quick and urgent. And every day that um, uh, secretary-designee mayorcas is not in there is concerning. It's a, it's a, a day that's wasted. There's a, that is a very broken um, organization and he needs every minute of every day in order to address the issues there.
0: Yeah, and of course the progress of his nomination has been blocked by senator hawley who was in fact one of the insurrectionists have this exactly man right. who takes a strongly anti-democratic position and and then does this well um, and
1: not just not just that david a man who helped fuel a terrorist attack blocking leadership that will be in charge of combating domestic terrorism
0: right no 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 question about that the president has talked about um path to citizenship for the 11 million people who are in the united states he's talked about uh um you know fixing what's broke within the daca program uh reuniting families that have been broken up making that a priority Um, but of course you know president bush tried to produce uh, immigration reform to his credit, of, you know, I mean, he made a lot of mistakes, but to his credit, he tried to do that. Ultimately, in the end, you know, President Obama, a little, I thought he was a little slow off the start on that, but he ultimately got around to that. Um, what's the prospect for this? You know, I mean, there's a lot of hope right now, um, but that's one that's very controversial. Can major immigration reform actually happen?
1: I believe it can. And and I am going to be optimistic that it will. And we have a lot of work to do, and we've got to pull in advocates from sort of the non-traditional advocacy realm, like the business community, people who really truly want to see us finally create legislation that addresses as much of the challenge as we can. You know, the the vast majority of the American public, I believe, doesn't like Congress to kick the can down the road. And on immigration, that's all that's happened it's been administration after administration after administration that's basically kicked the can down the road finally we have an administration that says we've got to have a long term mid term and short term goal and you know the long, the, the longer term goal will take time and investment which is addressing the challenges in our hemisphere those root causes that are going to take economic investment you know we're going to have to make a dent in the climate emergency mass migration is really complex and there are multiple drivers behind mass migration and it's going to take time to address them but we finally have a leader who will call our hemispheric leaders together and say we've we've got to solve this together and who will be collaborative and in terms of the the short term and the midterm you know we've got we've got a get our legislation across the goal line, which will be tough. You're right. We have a very narrow majority in the House and in the Senate. And in the House, we have competing interests, right? We've got groups of progressives who, who you know, I count myself among them. We've been waiting a long time for this. There's a lot of wrongs to correct, but you also have, and I'm, I'm, I am I'm, understand and I am sympathetic to, to those frontline members who won in Trump districts, who we want them back. They're part of what created our majority um, who will have a different perspective on how to approach this. And so there's going to, this is gonna to be tough to navigate. There's gonna to have to be um, a lot of bridge building, a lot of communication. I think we may get, um, Republicans on board. Um, it just depends, you know, and I, I can't predict in the Senate because it's a, it's a very different territory than, than what I, you know, I'm used to in just my two years in the house, but I do think it's possible. I think it's going to be tough, but it's possible. It has to happen as quickly as possible because that window truly it's every single day is just shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. And we've got to jump through it and bring as much uh, of our, of our uh, policy goals with us as we jump through that window as quickly as possible.
0: Well, let me ask you one more immigration question, although it's a, it's a bit of a foreign policy question. Uh, I was pleased to see that uh, somebody I know very well who was the Assistant Secretary of State for the Western Hemisphere um, has now been uh, uh, named, uh, uh, Roberta Jacobson has now been named uh, to the NSC and is gonna handle border issues. And of course, border issues start with Mexico. And the president of Mexico, um, uh, President Lopez Obrador, has been a kind of a conundrum Um, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it nicely, (laughs) um, uh, you know, as you know, a a Mexican nationalist progressive who was pro-Trump, um, who, you know, immediately came down on the side of some pretty unsavory characters in, in the federal police and so forth. There is no way to solve this problem without cross-border collaboration with Mexico. And the mexican government's a question mark what's your view on that
1: they are indeed a question mark and i would i would argue that border issues um you know actually start with central america but mexico is a key partner a key ally a neighbor we are so closely tied together you know we're like a couple who will, who absolutely cannot get divorced you know like that you you are joined at the hip regardless and so
0: well particularly um, in your district right it's such that's a-
1: exactly right that there's an old saying david that is it, it's it's tied to not just our physical health but our economic health if mex if ciudad juarez which is our neighbor right across the border if ciudad juarez sneezes el paso catches a cold And vice versa, if El Paso sneezes, Ciudad Juarez catches a cold. So, um, you know, we share an airshed, we share water, history, uh, familial ties, an economy, et cetera. And really it's true for the United States as well. And so the key is how do we, um, because believe me, I've been very critical of President Lopez Obrador and how complicit he was with the Trump administration. I thought, and I, I, I hoped in my heart of hearts, it was driven purely by self-preservation, because, um, you know, President López Obrador was afraid of retaliation, which Donald Trump was clearly, you know, very willing to 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 do was engage in retaliation. But then, once President, he was then President-elect Biden. Once it became known that. Joe Biden would be our next president and to have President Lopez Obrador participate in the big lie by not acknowledging the victory, that was really very deeply disappointing and I thought very reckless. But knowing President Joe Biden and um, knowing The people he surrounded himself with, their focus is on the future and not the rearview mirror. And I'm sure they're gonna do everything possible to have as good and as solid a relationship with Mexico as possible because we need them, but they need us as well. And so my hope is that that President Lopez Obrador, that his, that his advisors um, encourage him to engage differently. And um, to, to seize the opportunity that exists, you know, the, there's there's skepticism on both sides, but you know, we've got to work together.
0: I couldn't help but notice that President uh, Biden's first uh, uh, international conversation is going to be with uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, uh, and that that was not the choice of every past president Many as there were many or recently chosen mexico as the first conversation and um and you know i think that, that there's a price to be paid for the kind of policies he's embraced um let me let me sort of shift it, it, you know when when i listened to you know the the inauguration yesterday i had the same kind of feeling you did that the so, you know, it's strange after four years of struggle that that I, you could sort of flip a switch, and go from feeling dread to hope so quickly, and go from a sense of dysfunction to high function so quickly, um, and and of course that was exciting, and I thought it was a you know good show, and I liked the fireworks. But you mm-hmm. know, when you're dealing with constituents, how are they going to judge Joe Biden? You know, we, one of the things we always look at is that, uh, um, as, as, as Ezra Klein wrote in the New York Times just the other day, um, you know, midterm elections, 2022 election, you, they tend to go against the president. And so one of the things the Democrats have got to do is fight that by really delivering in the first two years. What, what kind of, you know, um, report card does the average El Pasoan have in their pocket by which they judge Joe Biden?
1: You know, it's it's um, very similar, I think, to the report card that Americans outside of El Paso have, which is, how is this person impacting my life? And it, it, it I think, ultimately will come down to the economy, to COVID, um, and the, the 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 state of the world at that point in time. My sense is is if we can deliver and if if we can improve people's lives. And and you know, from my perspective, there's only one way to go and that's up after Donald Trump's response to the coronavirus. And so I'm an optimist on this front that we will be able to deliver. Although, you know, of course it will depend on on whether we're able to pass legislation, um, which I I think we will. But I think if if we're able to demonstrate to the American public what Democrats can do, that we've raised the minimum wage, that we've gotten vaccines in their arms, that we are addressing the climate crisis, that we're protecting and creating jobs, that we're, you know, the, the, the whole host of things, that we're addressing poverty, the. I do believe that that people will it, it is, we could we could really kind of change history in 2022 by retaining our majority after demonstrating that that look you know the the path that we're on the journey that we're on right now is a good one just stick with the people who are who are driving the train right now and getting us where we need to go so I think it's it's a it's a pretty simple report card and people are going to look at, at how we've helped them or if we have not helped them. And so, you know, we've got to do everything possible to, to help improve lives.
0: Today, the president announced uh, 10 executive orders that were associated with COVID. And uh, they ranged from, um, you know, mobilizing um, production to get you know PPE to people uh, to, to outlining the vaccine plan getting money to cities and states that need the money D- to me you know it was kind of striking because it felt like you know isn't this what the government should have been doing for the past year um is it is it enough um it seems like this is the central the the first issue on that report card for a lot of people what's what's your view and what are the what are the priorities you're most concerned with with regard to covid
1: when you look at those priorities, David, you're right, and the approach—it's it, not so complicated, and it's so deeply tragic. That's what makes 400,000 deaths so tragic on on a on an exponential level. Was that it didn't have to be this way, and that the 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 path to getting people what they needed was not that hard for former President Donald Trump and so much of what we're seeing is completely logical and makes sense because it it, it, it does and it should uh, like getting FEMA involved you know one a, a, a very frustrating aspect for us was that FEMA was not involved and why would you not have FEMA involved this is you know this is like a if, you know, FEMA, FEMA's about disasters. This is a disaster. anyhow, so i'm I'm just you know, it's, it's seeing that list is heartening, but it's also tragic that it wasn't it didn't happen sooner. I will tell you for me, there's a couple of very important priorities. Number one, uh, brown and black communities were disproportionately impacted in in large part because, The brown and black Americans are the ones on the front lines in essential jobs. They are not sitting behind computers. They don't have the same luxury that many of us have. And so they're out there engaging with the public at risk every single day. Compounded to that is that, you know, many people in my district, for example, a quarter of my population doesn't have any health insurance. So they've not had access to primary health care. So they are more vulnerable. So number one, vulnerable communities, communities that have been decimated, need to be prioritized. The, 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 we have demonstrated the vulnerability with higher deaths and illness. We've gotta get the help to where the fire's burning uh, most brightly. Number two, and I've spoken with Dr. Fauci about this a, a number of times. I've spoken with Ron Klain about this. I've spoken with the US-Mexico border health commission about this, you name it. Um, We need a bi-national COVID plan. I live in a community where the back and forth between two countries is essential. It's essential to our local economy, to our state economy, and to our national economy. And all of the supply chains up and down Uh, uh, the the national corridors. And so, um, you know, there needs to be a very specific plan. This is part of why that relationship between Mexico and the US is so critical. If the US is able to rapidly get people vaccinated and get back to normal, and Mexico is not able to do that, it will impact us. It will impact border communities and it will impact our economy and it will impact trade. So, um, you know, I'm going to keep sounding the alarm about the binational COVID plan. I've gotten it, uh, you know, I've had many conversations with leadership about it as well. Um, so, my hope is, is that the, the Biden administration will get that done as well.
0: well. You know, as we've turned the conversation here to uh, COVID and to the binational plan, as it just happens with 10 minutes to go. Um, our uh, resident uh, COVID expert, Dr. Kavita Patel, formerly uh, senior policy official for the Obama administration on this, has been set free by MSNBC and able to able to join us here. Um, and uh, Kavita, we've been talking with uh, Congresswoman Escobar about what the president announced today in terms of um, COVID, uh, and particularly the implications in her community, and she was talking a little bit about binational issues. You are not only a COVID uh, expert, not only a practicing physician, but you are also a daughter of Texas, um, and uh, so and and
2: raised. Yes, uh,
0: and so I thought maybe maybe you could give us sixty seconds of your take on what happened today, and then lead that into a question you might have for. For the congresswoman,
2: Yeah I think and and by the way you know there's a great 200 pages on the plan which I'm kind of third of my way through and it's just amazing to actually see a national plan. I mean it's kind of stunning that we've had almost a half a million deaths just in the United States. I've been keeping track of what's been happening in Mexico and, and kind of care along the border and congresswoman I have to thank you your leadership has made such a difference in the community I I came from and so it really it really means something to have you in that body and I hope you were safe on January 6th but I will say what what,
0: what was what was the community you came from just so that everybody I came
2: from so (laughs) south of San Antonio uh raised in Poteet Texas and kind of in that area and my family still lives in San Antonio and I and my good friends I spent time in El Paso and have spent a significant amount of time on the border as part of my medical school training so I take all of what you just said with an incredible kind of reality dose, to be honest. And what we saw today was finally a national plan and also rejoining the global conversation. Vice President Kamala Harris addressing the World Health Organization, Dr. Tony Fauci addressing the World Health Organization. I mean, I have friends from other countries who have said, my God, the United States is finally acting like the United States. And and then I don't wanna just be rose colored glasses about it. What I saw from the president was also a very serious warning about how it will get worse and how hard it's going to be and you know we haven't even been talking about the issues around the equitable vaccine access across the globe um, it's very clear that if the united states is aggressive and forces manufacturers to make more for the us we're going to be denying vaccine to other countries and that's all part of a complex conversation that frankly congresswoman we've just you know we've never been able to have so I apologize that I did miss your lead into this, but since we're talking about COVID, I, I feel so strongly that so much of what's happening it, with COVID is just, it's been there all along, the systemic breakdown of the healthcare system. As a doctor, I saw it all my life and see it still to this day. Can you speak about how, you know, just even thinking about your district, can you speak about how hopefully we can transition? and learn now that we have a national plan, now that we have a president, now that we have a team of scientists and public health advisors, what can we do to come out of this to actually heal the way we care for our people in healthcare and and especially in a state, Congressman, I'll be honest, I'm so sad that we're not an expansion state for Medicaid. can you talk about how that will be on the agenda? And that's very related to COVID, David. I hope you don't mind.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you so much for your kind words, Dr. Patel. I really appreciate it. And thanks for your voice. Um, it's it's powerful, important, and and very much needed. You know, the the one of the things we talked about before you jumped on is, the, or maybe you had you you did you you were on the Zoom with us. Um, but in my community, a quarter. Of El Pasoans have no health insurance nothing and so what we've seen is the 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 problem of lack of access to health care and chronic health problems that are generational because of that lack of access to health care essentially we are seeing the consequences of that all in one year where everyone is being exposed Uh, to this global pandemic who has to go out and work at a grocery store, or a teacher who has to go into the classroom, or um, you name it, or a healthcare worker or janitorial staff, you name it, and when a quarter of that population doesn't have access to healthcare, they, and they get sick, they are afraid to go to the doctor because of the cost. So you have these barriers to care. And even once they, they even if they do, go to the doctor. They're really afraid of a a positive diagnosis because then they can't work and they're so dependent on that income. Well, that has been happening on an exponential level in communities like mine, especially along the Southern border. You know, uh, Dr. Peter Hotez, who um, also is a, a really important voice. I asked him to participate in a Congressional Hispanic Caucus hearing, it was not an official hearing, but it was a caucus hearing about the impact on Latinos. And he said that the data demonstrates that Latinos in the southern part of the country have been decimated by COVID. Decimated. You know, when you think about, uh, an, uh, you know, vulnerable Black and brown populations that are being decimated by this, because of gross negligence and incompetence, coupled with the inequality, the, the lack of access to health care. And you're right, we live in a state, I come from a state that, that has done everything possible to eliminate Obamacare, to fight, to, to eliminate it in the courts. And you know, a, a state that believes health care is a privilege, not a right. And so of course the consequences are gonna be that those who don't have the privilege are going to die, you know I'll I'll share one more thing with you that was just like a uh, just a really tragic moment of of again being faced with the truth of what lack of access to care does. I'm on the Armed Services Committee. And we had a hearing uh, to, to learn more about um what the military was doing to protect our service members during the pandemic so i'm i i was a freshman uh, in my first term last year when we had the hearing so of course i'm near the very end of the day as one of the last questioners and so when it was finally my term, turn the, the you know the 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 witnesses were talking about information that they were gathering so i asked them hey i i want to talk a little bit about your demographic data are you seeing the same kind of disproportionate impact on your black and brown soldiers that we are seeing in the civilian world? And the response, it was it kind of incredible how simple and clear and nonchalant the response was. The response was, no, we're not because they have access to healthcare. And it just was, again, one of those moments where I realized as a country, we've made a choice about who lives and who dies.
0: Kavita, we have time for one last question. So why don't you give one last question to the Congresswoman?
2: Okay, so Congress, so we now have an incredibly ambitious agenda and studying Congress's past, we know that there is kind of a time limit before Things start to become incredibly close to the midterms and just become problematic. Um, already, President Biden has laid out kind of his goals immigration, you've talked about this, some of the other ambitious goals. How do you actually find a way forward? You have the majority on the House side, the Senate is, you know, split and kind of tenuous. Is there any possibility after January 6th, you did have some colleagues who voted with you and, and surprised their party maybe somewhat? Do you see any potential for furthering some of those relationships? People talk about unity, the president's talked about unity, what is that actually going to look like in kind of the form of an ambitious legislative agenda? Are we just going to retreat to kind of our partisan divide as we always have?
1: I think there will definitely be some of that, but I am hopeful there were some very courageous members of the republican party who did not fall in line on a number of issues as the year came to a close uh, you know some very courageous members who were with us on impeachment some courageous members it's hard to call this courage but who were willing to certify the electoral college votes um, there today on the house floor you know we just voted for a waiver for General Austin, and it, you know, it's, it 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 was it sh- it shouldn't be. It's sad that it is, but it was. I, as I was listening to the speeches during the debate, and to hear so many Republicans speak in support of the waiver, you know, I I I, I think. I think there are opportunities. Are there a lot of opportunities? You know, I I don't know that there's a lot because we still obviously have some very significant differences in values. And I think when you see, for example, Senator Mitch McConnell filibustering um, about whether or not the Senate even has the majority when they're talking about gavels for chairmanships of committees, you know that some of the same chronic issues are are there and are not going to go away. Things didn't change overnight. It's not, you know. Yes, it's a new day, and in some respects, you know, on Capitol Hill, it, it may not be so much of a new day. Um, and in some respects, it's more challenging. We now have QAnon conspiracy theorists spreading dangerous misinformation on the House floor and through their Twitter accounts, and so. It, it could not be a more challenging time. You asked what it looked like and immediately the visual I had was a Jenga game <laughs> where everything can kind of fall apart at any moment. Um, and so it's, it's gonna be a tightrope, not just for the president and the vice president, but for all of us, but progress and unity, it's a choice. And it's gonna be each, up to each and every one of us to make that choice.
0: That's a great question. That's a great place to end. And it's, you know, it resonates with me, I'll, I'll take 10 seconds for a, a just something that struck me as I was listening to this, because I'm struck by, you know, your story and success, um, Representative Escobar, and then Kavita, whose family came here, you know, from some other part of the world, uh, clearly it came to Texas and settled there and how th- that's her neighborhood. And, you know, the, the, you know, weirdly, you know, my father who escaped the Nazis in 1939 and four years later was, you know, in the army near El Paso, decided El Paso was kind of his home in the United States. And when I was a kid, we used to go to Big Bend
1: oh and, God, we would, love this.
0: and we would go into Juarez, you know, I, I remember him taking us into Juarez, which was kind of an experience. But, but the point is, this is America to me. You know, this is people coming from everywhere, and all of them. You know, you say El Paso, and it's like we all go, "Oh yeah, no, that's part of our life." Um, and uh, it goes back to Cavita earlier. Where we were talking a little bit about immigration reform and how important that is, and how you know, incredibly, essentially American. It, my wife is is Latina, and she she uh, she grew up half of her childhood in Mexico. So I mean, you know, again, it's. There's, it's such a it's such a great mix and and uh, it's so fortunate for the country to have uh, eloquent leaderly voices like yourselves um, uh, to uh, to to help make these points and and build on that kind of strength so I want to thank you very much kavita of course and I want to thank you representative Escobar for a great conversation and for taking this time to join us at a incredibly volatile moment in 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 american history but one that's full of hope and for all of you who are listening thank you for joining us and um, go to the dsrnetwork.com to find out what else we've got in store we've got uh, some special episodes coming up next week in addition to the usual ones Uh, and if you have a chance stop at the membership site and uh, become a member help support this and uh, we'll see you again next week and everybody uh, stay healthy bye bye